everyone. It's for, for our second video for September 2023 on Meet the Creator. And I don't think I am overstating the importance of this book when I say that, in my opinion, it should be in every single secondary school library. I think it's that important. So we are going to be talking to Alan Bissett about his wonderful nonfiction book, which is called Lads. Hi, Alan. There Hello. it is. And there Thank it you is. For me, Bev. Not at all. Not at all. I'm, I'm delighted, delighted to have you here because there's it's such an important topic and I've got lots of things to ask you about. So if you wouldn't mind, would you kick us off just by reading us a little bit? perhaps from the beginning of the book, so that it gives our viewers an idea of what it's about. Well, indeed. So the book is called Lads, A Guide to Respect and Consent. And I'll read from the introduction, because that way I don't really have to give you much to be a context for it. It is what it is. When you think of a lad, what do you picture? A young guy out with his mates looking for excitement. A guy with a bit of bravado and swagger. One of the gang, one of the lads, a good guy, an arrogant guy, a funny guy. Well, you'd better have a think about it because your house is about to be full of lads. There's a party around at yours. Your parents are away. I hope you've tidied because the place was covered in pizza boxes this morning. And also there are girls coming who you hope to impress. You want this to be the party people talk about for months for all the right reasons. The party's in full swing. You wander through from the kitchen into the living room. What do you want to see? Everyone's chilled. Girls and boys are chatting to each other, interested in each other's conversation. They're smiling and laughing. Some people are even dancing, enjoying the music. The hours you put into making that playlist have paid off. People are having a good time. Dude, nailed it. Or else you could walk into this. There are fewer people in the room than before because somebody's brought along that guy. He's drunk and making inappropriate comments, cracking edgy jokes that only he thinks are funny, grinding against the girls who are dancing. You can feel the tension in the room, right? The girls are unhappy about it. Probably some of the boys are unhappy about it. But no one is saying anything about it because the whole situation is a bit intimidating and awkward. Maybe that guy doesn't think he's being a problem. Maybe he even thinks he's just being a lad. I mean, come on, it's a laugh, it's a party, lighten up. Those girls get dressed like that so guys would look at them and give them compliments, right? What girl doesn't want to hear that her chest looks great in that dress and would look even better out of it? For the record, no girl wants to hear that. So the question for you is, what kind of vibe are you trying to create at this party? Because everyone, apart from that guy, seem to be enjoying the first one a lot more. Now, imagine that party is the whole world and there's not just one of that guy. There are millions of them. Thank you. Excellent. Okay, so I suppose I should kick off by asking, so this is such an important and pertinent book. Where did the idea for it come from? What, what was its origins? Well, a couple of years ago, Police Scotland commissioned a video called Don't Be That Guy. And it was really trying to take the onus away from women and girls 
to uh, look after themselves and nights so, out. You know, the advice that's usually given, don't walk home late at night on your own. Always text your pals when you get in. You know, cover your drinks when you go to the toilet. That kind of stuff, which is, you know, still good advice. But really, if guys were regulating their behaviour more, women wouldn't have to do that kind of thing. So this video was aiming to talk to young men about the sort of behaviour that they might think is normal, but which actually has the knock-on effect in making women feel unsafe. And it went viral, this video. I was one of the people who'd worked on it. And um, the impact was really women out there on the internet saying, why have we not had this conversation before? Because really it's men that need to have the conversation with other men about the way that men act around women. And I was approached by the publishers, uh, Ren and Rook, to maybe turn that video into a book. And this is that book. Okay, now what I found, I found loads of things great about the book. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a real fan. Uh, and and in, to the extent that my husband was in the room with me and I kept stopping and reading him bits and saying, listen to how good this is. Um, what did he make of it? He was um, somewhat irritated because at the time he was trying to do something else. Uh, <laughs> no, he did agree. He did agree with everything that I was reading okay. out to him. But what struck me really, really strongly was the honesty of it, Alan, because you talk about your own experiences you don't come out of it lily white. And I wondered whether writing the book had made you rethink incidents in your past or whether you'd already thought back on them. Well, quite. One of the things I spoke about with the publisher early on was if I was a teenage boy being asked to read this book and this book was asking me to consider my own behaviour and adjust some of my attitudes my first question would be, well, who are you? What makes you such a holy man? You know, like, do you think you're the Dalai Lama or something like that? And I don't, because I'm not. Every single man alive at some point has made some women somewhere feel uncomfortable. It's just unrealistic to suggest otherwise. So if I was going to ask the reader to maybe take stock of themselves, I had to do it first. I had to demonstrate that I was also doing that work and that I was going back through some of the things that I said and did when I was younger that I now cringe when I look back on and say, well, what did I learn for that? How did that make that person feel? Why was that maybe an inappropriate thing to say or do? And I thought, well, if I'm opening myself up to that, that might make it easier for the reader to do that. And if I don't do that, I could quite understand any teenage boy shutting the book and saying, no, sorry, mate, moving on. So I thought it was quite important to kind of model that self-reflection before I asked other people to do it. Yeah, and it certainly works. It works really well. Right. The other thing that I, I really appreciated and came across so strongly was the um, constant advice of how to challenge peers when they're behaving badly. And that's a really tricky one. That is. Um, and that's probably the hardest thing to do because it's one thing knowing the difference between right and wrong yeah. and understanding that there is a certain way that you know men should act in women that's respectful and, and treat them with dignity. But when you have a friend or if you're in public and see a man acting like that, 
and you can see that it's unwelcome, mm. how do you challenge that? What do you say? Because immediately that creates tension, and it might be creating tension or conflict with one of your friends or, or your group. So I try to take people through ways in which you can do that. I know everything's going to work in every situation. You know, everything's context-specific. You need to read the moment, and also you'll know your friend better than I will. But trying to give a variety of different approaches that you could use that might help diffuse that situation and um, you know make him think about what he's doing. Mm, yeah, and I really love the way that you used you used the language of teenage lads, which is basically sarcasm. You know, get them laughing at remember. each other. Get them laughing at each other and that'll work, you know, and, and it does work. We know it does work. Well, I mean, one of the approaches that I decided to take in the book is humour. Because yeah. some of the subject matter in this is quite serious, you know, and we do look at some quite uncomfortable statistics. Yeah. And I thought, if I'm going to ask the reader to go there, then you need to kind of sweeten the pill a little bit. So I've, I've used a lot of humour in the book because I'm also aware that humour is a way that men communicate with each other, and women, obviously, but I'm really writing for young men in this book. Um, and that banter is quite a catch-all term that can bring in all sorts of behaviours, some of which are perfectly healthy and natural and positive. And some of which are banter can be a cover for some other things that really maybe shouldn't be joked about. Mm. Yeah, agreed. And and that's the other thing that I liked in that you didn't say we shouldn't be telling our mates if we fancy someone because we all do it. We all appreciate, well, you know, beauty, but there are extents to which we don't go any further. Well, I, I mean... I've been quite clear in the book to say, first of all, there's nothing wrong with being male, right? I'm a man. I like being a man. There's nothing wrong with f fancying women. Yeah. Obviously. The species would die out otherwise. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with telling your pals that you might fancy a particular girl or woman or celebrity, right? But there's also a line where it starts to become, you know, in detail what you would do to that person given a chance and that's when it starts to be treating that person more like an object and that's when maybe boundaries start to slip and the whole thing just becomes a bit more toxic and misogynist really mm, definitely and 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 i think the section where you talked about the um abundance of porn that is about and that young people are exposed to now um was extremely useful. Do you think it's at the worst it's ever been, or do you think we always found things like that? Well, I mean, porn has always existed for as long as we've been able to record images or photograph images, but obviously there's been a huge difference with the advent of the internet. I mean, when I was young, it was mainly magazines. Yeah. And you didn't want to have to go into a newsagent's and pick one off the shelf and take it to account of and look another person in the eye because that was excruciating. But obviously the internet means that you can essentially now turn on a tap and you've got free anonymous access to all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think that has had uh, an effect on people psychologically and also as a culture. That's been a huge sea change in the way that we see the opposite sex, both men and women. Yeah. 
I don't think it's necessarily had a positive effect. So I'm not saying to people, don't ever watch it or don't ever look at it because I, I know that that might be, it might come across as a bit censorious and judgmental. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to show people that there are dangers and that they might want to look out for certain signs if they think that porn may be actually having a negative effect on them. Mm. What to look for and how to take steps to try and curb that. Yeah, and I was really interested. I'd never thought about it this way, Alan. When you were talking about um, young men and, and in you know, people of either sex, finding porn to be an addiction. The, the stats are there. You know, that is yeah. uh, something, because it's so readily available, it doesn't cost any money. No. Something that's been done privately without anybody else knowing about it. So it's quite easy for that to take over your brain mm. because it affects the neural links in the brain. It actually starts to rewire and change the brain. Mm. And you're not aware that it's happening to you. But before you know it, you know, like any addiction, doesn't matter what it is, mm-hmm. these things happen gradually. And at first, obviously, it feels exciting and new and obviously um, stimulating but like any other toxic substance that passes into something that becomes a bit darker and more difficult to control and that's the same with alcohol and tobacco and drugs and um, sugar, any number of things Uh, and uh, we're naive if we think that pornography doesn't have that effect on people as well so what are you working on next? Actually, Lance is the first non-fiction thing I've ever done. I'm yeah. mainly a novelist and a playwright, mm. and some of the novels that I've written in the past have been about teenage boys, actually. My first novel was a book called Boy Racers, about a bunch of Scottish working-class guys um, around about the turn of the millennium who go out in their car every night and roar up and down the streets and basically try and live life as freely as they can. Um, but obviously I'm no... A teenager anymore. It's difficult for me to even remember that life, let alone write about it. So um, I'm now writing a novel about a witch. Now, I know witches are a thing. I hadn't quite realised that when I started writing the book, but I think maybe the take that I've got on it is slightly different to maybe the take that a lot of people have had on it. It's contemporary. Um, It's about a woman in her late 20s who is... um, uh, she's come for the underclass essentially, and um, she's very funny. And she discovers in her lineage that she maybe has um, a certain gift that's been passed in through mm-hmm. her um, mother's line that she awakens to over the course of the book, with um, you know sometimes hilarious results, but also you know it's. I think one of the things I quite like doing is balancing dark stuff with humour. Yeah. Um, I, I, if you go too far in either direction, it's either too lightweight or it's too much, it's too serious. Mm. And I, I like the balance. So um, it's a book that hopefully walks that line. It's called The Spooky Wife. And I need to get it finished. So thanks for the reminder. Excellent. Excellent. Look forward to reading it. <laughs> well, Alan, thank you so much for giving up your time this evening to talk to us. Um, thank you for having me. So interesting. And I, I did mean that sincerely what I said at the beginning I really do think this book should be in every secondary school library because it is just so important and the other thing of course something else I meant to mention the other thing that I quite liked about it is it's fairly short always helps yeah 
I know that sounds daft, but teenage boys, yep. you give them anything that's too long and forget it, you know, yeah. and all the way through it, you're giving them that that promise of you're going to get through this. And at the end, you'll be able to go and do something fun, which I thought was absolutely amazing. And we um, end on a positive note as well. So it even does though indeed. Yeah. Dark stuff sometimes, I do remind them, look, we're heading towards a sunny beach at the end. Don't worry about it. Thanks so much, Alan. We look forward to reading the next book. Thank you very much for having me. Take care.